Hello and welcome to this edition of NAESP's Advocacy Podcast. On today's show, we're, we're speaking with Thomas Tock, who is the director of Future Ed. Future Ed is a nonpartisan think tank at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy. Future Ed focuses on excellence, equity, and efficiency in K-12 and higher ed, providing analysis on key education issues for policymakers, practitioners, the media, and other key education change agents and influencers at the federal, state, and local levels. A little bit more about Thomas. He is a former senior partner at the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching and the director of the foundation's Washington office. He is a founder and former co-director of the think tank Ed Sector, a former guest scholar at Brookings Institution, and he has taught at uh, Harvard Graduate School of Education. Talk helped launch Education Week as a writer and co-managing editor, among many other accomplishments. Thomas, welcome, and thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure, Danny. Appreciate it. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on uh, various topics today. Kind of go um, uh, across the board on on various things that that you all focus on at Future Ed. Um, so I first want to dig in on on something that is a a, a critical issue uh, and one that uh, I know that you've worked on uh, extensively, um, and that is the uh, str- uh, strengthening the the teacher workforce. Uh, so I'm going to start with a, a really simple question: uh, What is high quality teaching? Oh, that's a great question. And, and, uh, you know, unfortunately across the education sector, we haven't done a good enough job of being explicit about what a good teacher is and what good teaching looks like in schools. Um, and that has led to a variety of challenges, uh, notably, uh, that there's not consensus, uh, and uh, it has been harder to raise standard instructional standards in in the absence of of a consensus about what good teaching is. Um, my view is that that uh, uh, effective instruction starts with high standards, the expectation that all students uh, can and and should learn to high levels. Uh, that um, the uh, instruction focuses on rich and and rigorous curriculum, um, that we are teaching not only uh, information to students, but uh, encouraging them to learn how to learn, um, how to think critically, how to analyze information, um, and how to to formulate their own opinions, um, regardless of the of the language uh, that they're learning, whether it be math or English or, or social studies or uh, another discipline. Um, each uh, has its own way of, of um, uh, sharing uh, insights into the world uh, that we live in and uh, each has thus its own language. And, and the role of the teacher is, is to help students become uh, mathematicians, become um, uh, historians and the like, uh, and uh, to do that uh, requires a great deal of empathy on the part of teachers. It, it requires an ability to, to connect with their students as as uh, other human beings and as learners, uh, and it requires an immense amount of of uh, patience and, and hard work uh, to ensure that all all students are achieving it as to the high levels that that they're able to. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, 
So you talked about this kind of this um, sort of this variance in, in terms of um, what I perceive to be kind of um, perceptions about what what high quality teaching is. And, and certainly when you look at at the data that it, it shows that there just is variance across um, states, districts, classrooms. Right. Um, so what what is what's at the root of, of that? Why are why is there such sort of high variance? Uh, when we think about sort of what what quality is uh, here, right? Uh, well, uh, we we really haven't uh, in this country. There's two ways to answer your question. One is that we haven't uh, in this country really worked hard enough to establish consensus around what high standards are or what effect the effective delivery of, of high standards-based uh, instruction, uh, high-quality standards-based instruction is. Um, the other part of the question is why do we have variance in the quality of teaching? Well, because some people are trained better than others. Some people have uh, uh, are, are more naturally effective as teachers uh, than others. Um, and uh, importantly because we haven't done a good enough job of moving the entire profession to, to higher standards our professional development uh, is widely you know, nationally is widely considered to be uh, ineffective largely and so uh, we we leave teachers to far too great an extent to their own devices in their classrooms uh, when in fact uh, they could all do, most could do much better if, if we worked very systematically to improve their practice. Mm -hmm. and, and we're gonna talk about um, certainly the role of, of principals and, and how they're key to um, advancing quality teaching. Uh, first though, let's stick on this, this, this notion of, of teachers and sort of thinking about um, the continuum and all of the, the steps that, um, someone who has who, who chooses to to pursue the teaching profession sort of think about all all of the um, stages of, of that continuum um, and we in in terms of policy and in terms of public policy when you think of sort of what states and districts do um, we we'll, would love to just sort of hear from you what what does it look like when a state or district intentionally and effectively attracts, prepares, supports, uh, mm. and, and sort of, and develops that talent in their system? What does that look like? Right. Well, that, that's an important question. It's also a complicated one, um, hard to address uh, briefly, but uh, <laughs> importantly, uh, uh, a state or a school district uh, or even a school sends clear signals uh, to potential applicants, uh, to, to teacher candidates, that teaching is, is a respected um, and also a rigorous uh, occupation, that, that uh, the standards uh, of instruction uh, are high, uh, that all kids can learn and should learn, uh, and that um, it takes a, a true professional to achieve those ambitious goals. Uh, and so it's an expectation on the, on the one hand and, and the supports that come with ensuring uh, 
and the, the sort of uh, uh, practices and policies, on the other hand, that ensure that teaching is treated as a profession, that, that teachers are treated as professionals, uh, meaning that their compensation is, is um, fair, uh, that uh, they are rewarded for good performance, uh, that they are supported in their work, uh, that they get uh, the sort of, of professional feedback that uh, helps them grow, uh, improve their practice, uh, and that uh, creates uh, a sense of collegiality uh, that is too often missing in, in our classrooms uh, or in our schools where, where too many teachers are isolated in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and this continuum, uh, you know, extends through the recruitment process uh, and, and hiring process, the induction process, to we don't want to leave teachers to sink or swim on their own. We want to surround them with, with seasoned veterans who can support and improve their practice uh, as teachers mature into the job. Uh, and then we want to, to then sustain the sense of professionalism uh, that hopefully we have developed uh, amongst new new teachers throughout the course of their career, so that they continue can continue to improve. There is a, a conventional wisdom in public education policy that that teachers improve for the first two or three years of their uh, of their uh, 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 careers, and then sort of plateau. Well, mm-hmm. Tennessee, as one state, uh, which has worked very hard to produce rigorous ongoing professional development over the course of teacher's career has proven that conventional wisdom to be inaccurate. Teachers can continue to grow. Uh, They do want to continue to grow throughout the course of their career, but we've not done a sufficient job of helping them do that. Mm -hmm. And we actually, a few, a few podcasts up um, ago, we had uh, Paul Fleming who, um, who does a lot of work, works right. for the department, the department of, of education there and, and sort of talks about their system. But what is, I mean, what is that, what are those pieces of that system that Tennessee and, and others and maybe other districts do that, um, that have, that have gotten sort of that a little more right in terms of thinking about the ongoing nature of the profession and that it, um, it is not just to sort of get them in the system. And once they're there, um, yeah. sink or swim. So what, I mean, what are, what are those districts and, and states doing well? Well, a couple of things. One, they, they are, uh, their recruitment and induction, their hiring processes are rigorous. Uh, they're typically multi-step, uh, processes, uh, that, uh, require, for example, teachers, uh, to teach, uh, uh, model lessons. It requires them to write essays about the quality of, of uh, good teaching in their views, uh, mm-hmm. in their view. Uh, it explains, these essays explain why they want to be teachers. Um, there are multiple <clears throat> um, uh, interviews. Uh, there are model lessons that, that teachers uh, uh, actually send in. Uh, in addition to teaching model lessons, they actually send in clips of their of their um, lessons. So it's a multi-part process. So you get Mm -hmm. more rigorous people 
in the door. It's not a 15 minute interview on a folding table in a gym uh, on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, of course, there are teacher shortages uh, that make that more difficult in some subjects, uh, science, special education, foreign languages. But but uh, there's a whole lot more we could do to ratchet up the, the, the rigor of the hiring process. And in the District of Columbia, which uses this model, uh, as does the Los Angeles uh, Unified School District, uh, research has shown that, that once people uh, get into the classroom, uh, they perform better once after going through this more rigorous uh, system. Um, Secondly, uh, Tennessee, District of Columbia, and and some other jurisdictions take teacher evaluation much more seriously uh, uh, than they have in the past or than is traditionally the case in public education. Obviously, it's been a controversial issue in recent years with the focus on on using student uh, test scores to, to rate teachers. But you know, to my to my mind, that's been something of a sideshow. It's it's what the press gravitates to because it it there's controversy there. Mm-hmm. But in, in reality, uh, jurisdictions that have ratcheted up their teacher evaluation systems, strengthened them dramatically, have not relied uh, overly heavily on on uh, student test scores. What they've done is is set clear standards for for good teaching. They've and then created rubrics for evaluating teachers against those standards. They have introduced, uh, you know, much more rigorous systems that go far beyond the 30-minute drive-by once a year with a checklist, mm-hmm. the principal, principal with a checklist, which has been the traditional model, and created uh, systems where there are multiple evaluations during the course of a year by multiple evaluators, often by folks outside the individual school, uh, and uh, layered on top of that surveys of, of students' views of, of the rigor of their classrooms and other things which have, have been identified as being um, reliable measures of, of teacher performance as well. So in other words, they've created much more coherent, more, more rigorous, more comprehensive systems, and then which also involve or which flow from that uh, a much more effective, targeted, uh, and often school-based professional development models. Uh, that help teachers address their challenges and and grow uh, their their practice. Uh-huh. Um, and so those are those are some of the things uh-huh. uh, that that have been encouraging to see around the country and that that pay dividends in the classroom. Um, there are a couple of others, but uh, you know, giving giving teachers a, a signaling to teachers uh, that they're cared about causes them to care a lot more about their practice. Uh-huh. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you to expound on a little more was something you you mentioned, which was coherence. Um, I think a lot of I, I think what what you see in in districts, certainly in in states, um, is this challenge of developing and sustaining uh, coherent. Um, human capital management systems. So ones that maximize these interdependent policies and are thinking about this, uh, this world as, as an ecosystem or of, yeah. of an environment. And, that, and, and certainly when it, as it relates to, to principles and, and the policy of, of principles, right, is how do you have a system that doesn't certainly focus um, almost exclusively on, on sort of teachers and, and sort of boosting teachers and, oh yeah, what about the role of the principal when actually um, 
principle is the, the, the principle is sort of core to a, a lot of these things. So how do you, what does that look like? Or, or how do you sort of think states can, states and districts can kind of overcome um, what is that kind of piecemeal approach to, to a lot of this um, mm-hmm. and a challenge with um, certainly something I've experienced, which is sort of the, there's just a patchwork of these policies um, in, mm-hmm. um, in, in states where you've got recruitment over here and it's getting this funding stream and evaluation and retention is, is, is over here on this program. Um, so how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Right. Well, there's no doubt that uh, comprehensive human capital systems uh, are more effective uh, and uh, than um, systems that uh, are more piecemeal, as you describe them. Uh, there's no doubt that that jurisdictions, Tennessee and, and the District of Columbia, are great examples that have embraced reform across the continuum, starting with recruitment uh, all the way through school-based professional development. Uh, have uh, created stronger systems. Um, uh, it is hard to do. It takes time um, to change uh, a recruitment system. It takes time to change to layer on top of a, an effective teacher evaluation system, a performance-based compensation system, and a career ladder, and, and some of the other innovations that have been introduced effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all start, by the way, with understanding who's doing a good job in the classroom and who's not, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can't have a, a teacher leader system absent a way of identifying who the teacher leader should be, uh, mm-hmm. who, who are the strongest uh, teachers in, in, a, in a school, in a school district. Um, uh, you, you touch on principles. I mean, that's an, a very important dimension and, and often overlooked dimension of improving uh, and supporting high quality teaching. You know, there's a ton of research that makes clear that effective school leaders are, are the key to effective schools. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's also, you know, quite clear uh, in this, in recent, it's been made quite clear in recent years uh, as districts and states have sought to improve their teaching profession that, that principals need to play a central role in that work, uh, a more central role than perhaps they've played traditionally. So to me, um, you know, embracing the role of instructional leader, uh, being more than building managers is, is really an important dimension of the contribution that, that principals uh, make to the, to the improvement of the teaching profession. I mean, if, if buffed schedules and student discipline uh, dominate uh, school leaders' day, it's very difficult to support high-quality teaching. And, you know, does that mean, I mean, if you're going to support high-quality teaching, you've got to get in, into classrooms, which means you've got to carve time out of your day, uh, a couple of hours at least, uh, to, to do that. Uh, and that requires perhaps giving leadership roles in the school to others, you know, having assistant principals or lead teachers manage some of the principal's traditional duties. Um, and some some districts have, have gone and networks have gone farther than that. The District of Columbia Public Schools and the Uncommon Charter School Network up in New York uh, have dual leader models. They have a, they literally have school building managers and they have instructional leaders. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, that that gives principles and opportunity that many of them just don't have in the course of a frenetic day to to be instructional leaders. Um, 
And, you know, from there, I mean, you just have to really, as a school leader, establish high expectations for teachers, right? You've got to send clear signals over and over uh, that you expect every student to learn at high level, you know, irrespective of race or class or learning disabilities or, or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then from there, it's a, it's a matter of establishing explicit achievement targets uh, that are ambitious, but it, uh, achievable, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, that there's, I mean, I could give you sort of additional aspects of what, what the research suggests, uh, uh, effective contributions from, from principles are, um, if, if, you, if you'd like. I mean, that, you know, certainly creating a culture of professional practice, uh, you know, is really important in schools, right? Having teachers visit each other's classrooms, take trips to other schools, and then debrief on the visits having regular structured conversations about best practices and teaching and learning. You know, as I said before, the isolation of teachers in their classrooms is, is a killer both for morale and for, for productivity among the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then ultimately, you know, te- teachers value um, guidance. They value feedback. And that means taking teacher evaluation seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, teachers say over and over, in surveys uh, that they value the shared language and the more frequent conversations about effective teaching that that some of the new teacher evaluation systems have have brought to to their schools Um, you know they they really value uh, guidance on improving their performance I mean you know that they're in the they're in that field because they care about kids and they want to do that better Uh, and you know that's the kind of but that's the kind of support that's been uh, you know, too rare in, in public education in the past. And, and uh, you know, the extent that we can, we can give them more feedback, uh, they are going to care more uh, because they're going to feel more cared about, mm-hmm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's uh, structured feedback is, 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 a, is a real key to this process, right? I mean, if you want to keep your best teachers, if you want to get signal to to new folks coming into your school building uh, that their contributions are valued and and that you're treating um, uh, the uh, the teaching profession, uh, you know, with respect, then then you give them feedback. You show up and you and you say and you help them get better, right? Um, you know, there, and and there's like you know strategies for for effective feedback. I mean, it's, it's always got to start with an affirmation of what's working. You know, you allow teachers to talk and share their perspectives. You focus on improvement rather than what they're doing wrong. You know, you, you, your body language is supportive and you, you know, you build, then you build plans that both parties can agree on. And and then you make those plans real in the sense that they're concrete and actionable. And, and, you know, this sounds kind of simple, like simple stuff, but it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in too many places, and when it does, the the, the uh, you know the, the teaching improves. So um, you know, there's to go back to where we started on this. I mean, the the, the principal uh, as the as the building leader, as the instructional leader, is critical to to any conversation about improving instruction. But but for too long and in too many places, the principal has been a building manager. 
uh, out of necessity because of the frenetic nature of, of daily life in schools and not instructional leaders, in part because they haven't been trained that way, uh, in part because we haven't signaled to them that that's the most important aspect of their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, over the last decade's worth of, of uh, controversy and over teacher reform, it, it, it has been what has emerged is a clear sense that that the principal is a cornerstone of teacher improvement and that we need to to uh, reorient our schools uh, in recognition of that reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think all, all of that is right. I, I would be curious what uh, on this question of, of instructional leader, I, I think there's also something um, I think uh, you know, th- this idea of a layering effect, right? So it's not that, um, the responsibilities of sort of, you know, discipline and, and administrative and sort of budget and dealing with parents has gone away. It's just, it, it's all of those things in addition to um, this, um, this need to be an instructional leader. Um, and so I, I, I think one thing, certainly anecdotally, when I, when I speak with, with principals, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, you know, there's an understanding and an agreement that, that all of those things are important as it relates to, um, being an instructional leader, so leading and in, leading and supporting an instruction and creating um, learning environments, and um, you know fostering teacher quality and sitting in on grade meeting, grade level meetings, and looking at the data and all of these things. Uh, and professional development, aligning professional development opportunities with um, you know gaps in practice and you know things like this. Mm-hmm. What though? This is maybe a tough question, but do you think? in sort of unpacking instructional leadership, is it your view that this idea of feedback, that if, if principals could only put, could only put all their eggs in, in sort of one basket, so to speak, uh, as it relates to being an instructional leader, um, you would say that the need to, to, to sort of set that culture of, of feedback um, and then really work to spend the bulk of your time um, to do that and, and, and to really uh, improve teaching in your school that, that that's where you'd sort of really sort of home in on. Uh, you have to make sure as a, as a school leader, as building leader, that the school is safe, um, that it's, it's run efficiently, uh, that, uh, it's clean, uh, that, uh, et cetera. Uh, I mean, those sort of basic working condition conditions are critical to, to teacher morale and, and the sense that they're valued, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on one level, uh, obviously the, the budget has to work and, and, you know, administ- parents have to be managed effectively and all that. So, so I'm not suggesting that, that a principal, uh, leave those other traditional roles behind, um, but rather find ways to, to get that work done effectively while, um, carving time for for the principal, the school leader, mm-hmm. uh, and and his or her team of administrators to to be more actively engaged uh, in in the life of the classroom in their in their schools. Um, it th- there is a sort of conventional wisdom that the teacher is the expert and should be left uh, to his or her devices to make decisions of uh, about teaching and learning, um, including. Uh, you know, standards and curriculum. Well, those are, you know, we, we've learned in the course of, of years of research now are 
exceedingly complicated issues, uh, very demanding, very demanding work, uh, extraordinarily complicated topics um, that, you know, it's not really on one level fair to ask a, a teacher to, to uh, bear on his or her shoulders alone, right? So a school should be as a team and then with support from central office and even the state level should be um, building a coherent sense of, of what good instruction is and what it looks like, what, what curricular standards should be and what instructional, what are the best instructional materials to meet those standards, right? Uh, and then you have a clear sense of, of what the a clear basis for a conversation between a principal and her his staff uh, about instruction, right? You can't, in order to provide effective feedback, you have to have clear expectations against which teachers are working. Uh, and then you can make clear to them uh, in, a, in a helpful way how they are, what they're doing right, and, and what they need to improve, right? You can't just have sort of a random conversation, well, this looks kind of good and that looks kind of, you know, maybe you should clean your whiteboards kind of thing, which that's, that's the evaluation system of the past. Uh, because we lacked standards, because we lacked a common uh, vocabulary uh, in schools and in districts, really across public ed education, uh, beyond what textbook publishers were sort of arbitrarily deciding uh, was good instruction and, and good materials. We haven't had those conversations, so we haven't been able to have the sort of productive feedback that the teachers, as I said before, crave. I mean, they literally crave the opportunity to speak with their peers as professionals to improve their practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, to, so to the answer, you, the one word answer to your question is yes, um, that is a the the improvement of practice, the feedback, creating a culture and the opportunities in schools for educators to work together as professionals to to uh, strengthen teaching and and learning in their schools is the most important thing that a, that a, a school leader can do to uh, strengthen and and sustain to sustain and strengthen morale uh, and the productivity of, of the people in their building. And it's feedback in, in sort of the broad sense of the word, right? I mean, feedback also uh, can look like, you know, uh, veteran, you know, strong, you know, strong veteran teachers um, having, you know, potentially, um, you know, younger, more junior teachers kind of observe their instruction during their, um, you know, during their planning period or something like that, right? Too, it's sort of creating that culture where, where sort of feedback is the norm and, 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 and folks yeah. are, are, are just trying to get better, right? But sort of, wherever that comes from. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that goes, uh, the, the notion of, of teacher leaders, uh, which is sort of implicit in what you just said, right. Having veterans, uh, take on the responsibility of, of mentoring, uh, more junior colleagues, uh, leading conversations about in curriculum, uh, instruction, uh, preferably at the grade levels and with colleagues at the same grade levels and in the same subject areas, if they're subject specific teachers, uh, so that you sort of have a, a tighter focus, right, on on the uh, in the con in these conversations. So, so you'd want to have a, a teacher leader uh, who has been working at 
say, you know, third and fourth grade levels, working with a team of more junior people who are working in the third and fourth grades, right? Um, just so it, it creates more coherence. Um, but, but more generally, having teachers serve as in leadership roles in their schools uh, is a valuable way to signal to, to more veteran folks uh, that their work is important and that they and and to the extent that you know uh, school leaders are working in districts that, that permit uh, performance-based compensation and compensation and rewards whether in the form of bonuses or, or salary hikes or, or other things uh, uh, for those who uh, play these additional leadership roles uh, in the teaching profession is really important right you, you're the, the research from the District of Columbia, for example, is, is quite compelling in suggesting that, that retention rates among top teachers, uh, when they are uh, recognized for their work, uh, for their good performance, are and rewarded for it, uh, both financially and with, with uh, new professional opportunities, stay in the classroom, right? The, as an example, the, high, the teachers rated highly effective in D.C., uh, leave the classroom uh, at, a, at a rate of about 6% a year. Teachers who are rated minimally effective, um, that is, if they are um, just barely meeting the standard, and if they get that rating two years in a row, they, they lose their jobs. But people who are rated minimally effective uh, leave the profession at about 51% uh, hmm. per year, right? So, you know, some people uh, say, well, there's really high attrition rates in the District of Columbia. Well, in fact, it's, it's a good kind of attrition, right? They're keeping their good people and their weakest people are leaving. Uh, not all attrition is bad. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's a function of, of the performance-based compensation system in, in the city uh, and, the, and the sense of professionalism that they've provided their top people. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I, the, I think everything you said is, is right there. I mean, the other thing about those effective uh, teacher leader systems, like I believe it's the lift system in DC. Is that the, I think, is, is that the teacher? Right. Leader? Um, is it's, it, is that it also signals, right, is to, is to early career teachers that there's a, a pathway here both in terms of right. responsibility and leadership, also in compensation, uh, as well as uh, potential, you know, teaching candidates. So folks who are not even in the profession to be able to, to start a profession and know uh, a potential trajectory of, of sort of leadership and compensation um, is certainly, is certainly attractive. Um, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of potential teaching candidates, uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Wanted to get your your thoughts um, on a on a hot topic in education um, today, and that is um, teacher shortages. Um, yep. There is one, I guess, fundamental question I, I'll, I'll I'll ask to start, and that is uh, there is a I guess debate about what actually the shortages are. Is there a national shortage writ large, um, or are or are the shortages actually more sort of targeted um, in specific regions, specific grade levels, specific content areas? What is your perception of teacher shortages? Sure. Well, uh, I, I think your description of the uh, 
landscape is is accurate. Uh, that is, uh, there are, are not uh, generalized national shortages in many fields. Uh, there are in, in a few foreign languages, special education, um, STEM would, would be examples. Um, but um, there are still, while overall, um, uh, diploma rates at education schools are down a little bit in the in now that the economy has has come out of the steep dive of the uh, 2008 2009 and and people have more uh, options. Uh, it, it, there there are nonetheless plenty of te English teachers and history teachers and and particularly elementary school teachers um, mm -hmm. around the country. Um, there are some places where there are fewer shortages than others, uh, even within that sort of general framework. The District of Columbia, um, in part because of the the uh, attra attractive uh, compensation system that they've got now, uh, starting salaries are, are up over, uh, can be as high as almost $70,000 a year. Top salaries are up to $144,000 a year. Uh, up from 88 about a decade ago, uh, it's, and there are, as you say, you know, new professional opportunities for for teachers as they move up uh, the career ladder and and mature in their their careers. Um, uh, it's also the case that the, the, that the District of Columbia is is a millennial magnet. It's a hot city to live in. Uh, it's booming. Many young families moving in. Lots of jobs in, in a variety of fields. So. Uh, you know, it's going to be easier to attract teachers to the, to uh, Washington D.C. than it is, uh, you know, rural Oklahoma, uh, where um, you know salaries, in addition, are, are we, as we've discovered over the last year in, in the in the wake of the teacher protests, are quite low. Um, so uh, it's it's a challenge. Uh, I, I do think that that districts in in uh, that don't have the advantages of, say, the District of Columbia as, uh, as a being a draw in being a draw for millennials. Uh, it is talented young people looking to, to work in public education. Uh, it becomes that much more imperative to embrace reform, uh, uh, reforms that that promote professionalism, that that create um, strong learning communities for adults uh, in schools, uh, create collegial work environments and give people opportunities to grow um, because there is research that suggests that if you do those things even in in places that don't have the sort of natural advantages of sort of you know, you know fun new uh, emerging urban areas uh, you can you can actually attract and, and retain good people mm -hmm. what is your uh, so I guess looking at teacher shortages in, in sort of two ways where they do exist, there's sort of the recruitment side and then there's the retention side. Um, what's your, what does the research say around the importance? This is a leading question. <laughs> the importance of uh, principles on the retention side of, of, of teachers. Well, surveys show that the single most, uh, single biggest reason why teachers leave is they don't have a good relationship with their the leader in their building. Uh, they don't feel respected. Uh, they don't have a, uh, an effective interpersonal relationship. Um, they don't um, feel supported. 
in the many ways that a school leader can support teachers with everything from supplies to being responsive to to uh, uh, requests for support with difficult parents, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and so principals <laughs> are the most important uh, uh, sort of contributor or factor in, in, in uh, teacher retention. Yeah. Um, even where, even in 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 uh, neighborhoods where uh, schools are serving you know, very disadvantaged, very needy students, teachers are more likely to stay in those schools despite the, the substantial stress of, of that work uh, when they feel strongly supported by their principals, when they feel uh, that their principals are, are committed to making uh, those schools work for, for disadvantaged kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. And I, I've been struck a little bit in in some of these um, discussions around teacher shortages and just the sort of absence um, in a lot of cases of, you know, the principal voice because it's um, principals are so critical um, on this topic, not even, not even just on the shortage question, but just, um, just more, even what we were talking about earlier in terms of, once a teacher enters a school, I mean, all of the, the factors of the, the learning environment and, 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 and all of those things are, are, are so um, severely impacted by, you know, by principals. Um, just, I think, just generally speaking, it's important to, to think about having sort of both of those voices at the table. Um, so speaking of voices at the table, uh, to close out, wanted to get your thoughts on um, just to, to, to sort of our members and, and to practicing principals um, in thinking about, you know, what advice do you have? I, I try to ask uh, most guests who, who come on, you know, what, what advice do you have to, to principals, to our members in thinking about, um, you know, how, how they can be, be advocates, um, you know, for uh, their kids, for their schools uh, and, and for the profession, um, what, yeah, what, what, what thoughts do you have that, that in terms of the importance of, of principles and joining the public policy debate? Um, well, uh, as I've suggested in our conversation, uh, my sense is that principles are, are central to school improvement, um, uh, and thus are a, a key component uh, of the conversation. And I've been encouraged um, by the uh, uh, emergence of the importance of the principle to the teacher evaluation debate that has raged over the last decade. It has been controversial, right? Um, but, but one of the sort of valuable side uh, uh, effects of, of that debate is the emergence of the importance of the principal as an instructional leader and as the, and hence the person who sets standards uh, in schools and, and builds a professional community sense of professionalism that we've been talking about uh, on, on, uh, you know, over the last 45 minutes. Uh, and so I, I would, I would encourage the the principal uh, community to and and your organization and and, and ASSP 
to to embrace the kinds of reforms that offer your members leadership opportunities uh, in in strengthening the academic side of schools. And, and I think if if the profession were to do that, uh, and you have done it, but but to continue to do that and elevate that aspect of the conversation, that that it would sort of build further further build focus on on the importance of the principle and and uh, you know elevate the the sort of respect for the role that is deeply deserved but not always forthcoming. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really good advice. And uh, um, I appreciate that. So, well, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, Tom, this has been uh, really, really, really great. I, I certainly <laughs> learned a ton over the last 45 minutes. I've, I've, uh, I've seen certainly your, your, um, you know, future ed's work online and uh, would encourage anyone listening to, to certainly visit your website and um, some really, really great research, really interesting topics that you sort of don't see everywhere. Um, so I've, I've seen a lot of that, but I, I've never had the chance to, to speak with you. So uh, appreciate you, you joining us today. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation, Danny. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.